Hello and welcome to episode number 19 of the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm John Tortorelli with my co-host Brandon Capazello. Today we have a fun episode, NFL dedicated. We're going to start off with Deshaun Watson decision, Aaron Rodgers comments. Can the Chargers take that next leap? And we're going to cap it all off with our two-minute drill. Talk about a good amount of UFC from last night and how that maybe relates to some past NFL free agency moves. Now, last episode, Brandon... You know, I'm new to this hosting stuff, and I just kind of forgot to mention entirely that Justin was away at a wedding to shout him out. So <laughs> today, I'm going to do a more concerted effort to make sure we give Justin his appropriate time. He's at a wedding, so he should be back for us next Wednesday for a Thursday episode, NBA, and we'll be back to schedule. Romain last episode, though, was terrific. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. He really exposed a lot of my old Westbrook takes. I forgot to mention him some of my, uh, my hot ones, like uh, having Dennis Johnson above him all time. But with that being said, there's probably no better way to start off. Ah, that's not really true. There's better ways to start off <laughs> talking about a serial sex offender. Deshaun Watson was suspended for 11 games after his initial rolling of six that the NFL appealed. And I, I want to start with you. How do you feel about this? I, I didn't really get your take last week, but then beyond that, is the season over for the Browns? I'll, I'll look at their first 11 weeks or 11 games in the schedule. So first I'll just touch on um, the Deshaun Watson um, punishment. Uh, obviously for me, I'm in agreement with everybody else. It, sh- it should have been longer. It should have been a full year. Um, but again, I'm not surprised. We've seen this year and uh, year after year with the NFL messing up suspensions and well not messing up suspensions but just getting it wrong in terms of punishment i mean <clears throat> i told uh i forget what what uh, topic we were talking about but i brought up before you know tom brady gets four games for deflating footballs and um uh the original punishment for deshaun watson was six games so you're telling me deflating footballs and what deshaun watson did is two games apart from each other that that's that's nonsense and calvin ridley gets a full year for for betting on it betting on his team it, it's, it it's, it's just yeah it's just ridiculous um now when i did read into the more of the um decision and um decisioning on deshaun uh so basically it's the 11 game suspension five million dollar fine uh there's something else when it comes to um uh, they have, uh, I guess, the Browns and Deshaun are going to be uh, uh, combining for a total of a million dollars and creating a nonprofit organization to uh, bring awareness to, um, uh, I guess, like, uh, I don't, I forget the wording exactly. I don't want to get it wrong, but just uh, a nonprofit for bringing awareness to certain topics. Um, also, though, Deshaun uh, has to undergo mandatory evaluation by a, a behavioral expert. And, and he's got to follow uh, their suggested treatment program. Now, it says um, Watson has to comply with the evaluation and treatment recommendations of a third-party behavioral expert to be reinstated, um, sources told Adam Schefter. This is uh, all reported from uh, Adam Schefter. Uh, now, if, if Watson doesn't comply, it says, with the treatment plan, his reinstatement could be delayed and he could face further discipline. Um, so he, he's got it. He's got it. And this is what I talked about with, um, uh, oh yeah, it was, uh, we were talking about the miles bridges, um, 
uh, st uh, stuff. Well, um, so, and I said there, now Deshaun has to, and he's he's got to work towards, if he wants to be seen in a different light again, he's got to work towards taking the necessary steps to proving, you know, that he is a changed person and that he can become a better person. Uh, America's the land of second chances, so give him his fair shot. And he's going to, you know, either he's going to rise above or he's going to, you know, fall to the, uh, fall to the bottom. Now I do want to say he, what he, um, just a little of what he has, he has said. He has apologized to everyone aff affected by it. And he says, this is his words again. He stands on his innocence and he said he eventually wants to tell his side of the story. So I guess we're gonna have to wait and see because I think um, I don't think I know. Um, with, uh, when when you're dealing with a lawsuit, certain uh, to an extent, <clears throat> the lawyer always tells you to um, you know remain silent. Don't say anything that can incriminate yourself, and that's just you know good lawyer work. Like you're not if if you're a smart client, if you're a smart person, you're gonna listen to the lawyer because he knows or she knows what what they're doing. Um, so we'll see how how that plays out in years to come with that uh, with his statements. Now on to how you said it affects the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, I mean they're going in with uh, Jacoby Brissett, I believe, is their starting quarterback going to be. Um, I've heard from people talked about you know where they're going to make a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I don't see that it's unnecessary. You're already paying this much money to Deshaun Watson. You're going to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo for only 11 games. And I think he's making what over 20 million this year, 24 million this season. Yeah. That's just, it's not it, at that point. Why didn't you just keep Baker? You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't make sense. So I think they're going to stick with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me for those 11 games, Sean, if you, if you have, and you want to pull it up and go through it a little bit, but obviously I think they're going to struggle. I think the run game is still going to be uh, dominant uh, that, that, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Uh, but, yeah, it, th this team is more of a, a next-year team. I mean, maybe they'll have a bad record and they'll be able to have, like, a top-ten pick. That'll be best-case scenario for the Cleveland Browns, to be honest with you. Well, I keep mean, in mind where that pick's going. Oh, they traded their first. Oh, this yeah. first. <laughs> That's why I'm excited for Houston. They got their own pick, which I think will be in top five, top seven. And they get the Browns then, pick, which will be okay. I wow. Think a okay. I, I completely, uh, yeah, I completely uh, blanked on that. Uh, so yeah, never mind. You're just gonna have to, you know. So the pick doesn't even matter for Cleveland. So yeah, I, I, they're gonna be one of the more bottom tier teams. It'll be interesting to see when Deshaun does come back, how he performs, because I, I didn't get a chance to see obviously his entire. I mean, I think it was just one drive he played in the preseason game. But from the clips I saw and reports and all that, he didn't look good. He was, I think his first throw, he completely overthrew the guy and missed it. And you expect as much when the guy has been out for, what, almost two years? He's going to, or a year and a half December or December of 2020 was the last time he played football in the NFL. Yeah, so almost two years. I mean, he's going to be rusty. He's going to have to get, you know, reacclimated uh, re to a playing quarterback in the NFL. And guess what? His suspension starts, I think, August 30th. So he'll be able to play in these uh, next two preseason games, I believe, uh, which I think is it sh he, they should take advantage of that, play him in the preseason so he's not, like, going now, like, um, 12 games deep without even playing. Like, 
let mm-hmm. get him, you know, let his arm get a little, you know, warm. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what I think. If you want to go over the schedule, John, a little bit after your points, but uh, that's what I've got to say on um, Deshaun. Yeah, I think you said a lot of really good things right there. Before we go into the schedule, he'll be eligible for reinstatement on November 28th. Now, part of his $5 million fine was $7 million donated to the cause of sexual misconduct prevention and assault. And he is donating $1 million with along with the Browns toward that. Now, as for the schedule, I don't think the Browns are going to be a bottom feeder team. And I know a lot of people are going to scoff at you saying that. But in this division, one team is going to have a losing record. I mean, it, it is a given. And many people will point to my favorite team, the Steelers, and I get that from a talent perspective. They don't they don't compare at the quarterback position. Now I want to look at the Browns' schedule. Week one, they play Baker in Carolina. Yep. I know you want to. Do you have big? I think the the Panthers are going to come out high when that. Yeah. Game. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all reports are signing are uh, shooting. Um, going towards Baker's going to start over Sam Donald, which is the smartest decision and the best decision. Uh, Matt Rule can make if he wants any chance to save his job, it's to start Baker Mayfield. Um, so, yeah, Baker going into Week One. I have I have the Carolina Panthers winning that game. I mean, barring any preseason injury in their ne- in their next preseason game, uh, which I don't see because I don't think really any starters are probably going to play in that uh, preseason game. Maybe Baker gets a drive or two or whatever, but I don't know about the skill positions because it's just so close to week one, you don't want to risk anything in, in that case. <clears throat> um, yeah, I got Carolina taking down um, uh, Cleveland in that game. I think Baker's going to have a revenge game, and I think they're going to – I don't know. I won't. It's not going to be a blowout. It'll be a close game because I think it's going to be an emotional game, and usually the emotional games are close, but I think Baker's going to have a very good game in that uh, in, the first, in week one. At home, too, so he's not going At back home. to yep. Ohio. Then week two, they got the Jets at home. Without Zach Wilson, I would assume. I think the Jets will take their team. Well, that, that, that's back. probably going to be where Zach Wilson's going to be eyeing a return. Like I said, I think that's like best case scenario is week two, latest week three. So in that range, Jets versus the Browns. I think the Browns can eat that out. I think they have the better running game, obviously. They have a great old line still. They've got some solid weapon. Amari um, Cooper's there. <clears throat> um, David Njoku's still there. The defense is still there with Garrett and uh, Denzel Ward. Jadavion Clowney. Yeah, I think the Cleveland Browns will be able to pull that game out, whether it's Flacco or Zach Wilson. Yeah. The, I don't think the Jets are going to bring back Zach Wilson so soon because week four they got Pittsburgh. They got a lot of tough teams to start the season. And so I think there is a chance they take their time with him so they don't want him to get banged up the first because they start their season against the entire AFC North. And that is, you got to play the Ravens defense, the Steelers, and this Browns defense has the upside of be a top 10, maybe even top 7. Yeah. You talk about Jeremiah Wuokus-Koromoa. Oh, yeah. Last season as a rookie was a standout. Grant Delpit will be healthy. Greg Newsom the third was really good as a rookie. And so I'm saying myself on the back end as well. Gritty Williams was a draft yeah. pick. I liked him. I wanted the Steelers to take him. There's a chance he's off of this team based off of fit. We don't even need him that much. Yeah. And so this Browns defense could be what they lean on this season, along with that running game. And, of course, one of the better all lines. They lost Nick Harris for the season, who would have been their starting center. But he got one of the three or four best guards in football in Joel Batonio. Jedrick Wills, I expect to take a step up from sophomore season. I think he'll be better 
Wyatt Teller is just a stud in the running game, and Jack Conklin as well. When he is healthy, yeah. he's one of the best tackles in football. So, I mean, this Browns defense, along with the O-line, it, it is a recipe to win games. And I, I think you're lower than most people on their head coach. But truth be told, yeah. I, he's a former coach of the year. I'm expecting the Browns to win all these games that they should win against the Jets just because the template is there. You know what I'm saying? And they did yeah. this is what they did in 2020. They beat on a lot of teams with a favorable schedule. Week three, they got the Steelers at home Thursday night. This is in Cleveland? Yep. Yeah, I think obviously it's going to be a close game. It's a rivalry game. It's going to be tough, uh, a grinding game. It'll be interesting to see if Kenny Pickett is the starting quarterback by then. I think I would have the Steelers eking out a very, very close game, like hmm. by a field goal, maybe even less. Chris Boswell's pretty good for that. Yeah. I, I could see this coming down to Chris Boswell. The Boswell will take us home if that's the case. Before they're in Atlanta. I'm picking Cleveland. You're taking who? I'm picking Cleveland. Taking Cleveland. Like, that Falcons defense outside of AJ Terrell and Grady Jarrett is it, it's it's one of the worst in the NFL. It is the worst. Yeah. And so I expect yeah. the Browns to just not have much of a problem against that team. Yeah. No, yeah, I would agree, yeah. Week five, they have the Chargers at home. Yeah, they're getting they're not winning that game. No. I don't know. A fair weather team playing in Cleveland. Come on. Early no. October? No. Maybe I'm hiring this Cleveland secondary than most people, but I think that'll be a competitive game. The Chargers every season have this is why they're compared to the Vikings. They have three or four games where they just play so poorly and that very easily could be a game on the road against a team that you're going to underrate because look Kobe Brissett's under center uh, a bona fide backup that is the type of game the Browns can steal because week six they had the Patriots I have New England winning that game yeah, even if yeah. they're on the road but I still have New England winning uh, yeah. now week seven they're in Baltimore it's like Baltimore Mars going to run all over them Okay, I, I would. I think we're in agreement there. I, I, Lamar Jackson, I have winning comeback player of the year. Like, there's a chance. There's a chance that the Ravens like start out hot, build a 14 lead, 14 point lead, or something like that, and then Cleveland's gonna have to kind of abandon the run game and uh, mm. rely on Jacoby to uh, bring them home. And that Ravens defense is is vicious. So sure. Yeah. And this Browns receiving core is nothing to write home about. I'm Lauren Amari Cooper because he's so darn inconsistent, and the guys they added. David Bell in the draft. I don't know if he's going to be really a whole lot better than Rashard Higgins. Donovan yeah. Peoples-Jones is a great vertical threat, but I don't know if Brissett's going to be able to connect with him. So if they are down, I don't really expect them winning it through the air. Week 8, they're at home against the Bengals Monday night. Yeah, I'll take the Bengals, Joe Burrow. Come okay. on. There's no, no, Cleveland's these, not beating the Bengals. These ASU North games are always going to be a toss-up. They are, but I just, talent-wise, it's not even can't, comparable at this point. I think it is. Yes. I mean, listen. With this the running team, game they have. All right. The teams as like a whole, yes. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have said they're not comparable. What I should have said is the teams, yes, are comparable in talent. But then you get to the most important position, like I said, the quarterback. And it's just Jacoby Brissett's a very good backup. But Joe Burrow is, a for me, top seven quarterback in this league, so. Now, they have their bye week after that week nine. Week 10, they're in 
Miami. In Miami. If things start clicking, it'll be by then for the Dolphins. Yeah. I think I'd, I'd lean towards Miami in that situation. Yeah. But I can see Cleveland winning. The following week, they're in Buffalo in week 11. This is the last game, and then Deshaun comes back. Mm -hmm. Buffalo's, yeah, Buffalo's winning. Yeah, so, yeah, no. In Buffalo, too, you said? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you you said it before, I think, or maybe it was on Pick a Side podcast. Josh Allen has those games where he plays poorly, the running game's not there, and the Bills just lose to an inferior opponent. That happens a couple of times a season. And this Browns team is one that people are going to overlook when Deshaun is not playing. And they have, you know, the perfect, the mix of pass rush, a quality secondary, quality O-line, maybe the second or third best in the NFL when it's all clicking. And then this running game, I mean, you can't can't sleep on that any given week. That's always going to be there. That's a constant factor. I'm not not the, the highest guy on Josh Allen. You know that. But I still think they'll they'll win this game, and I don't think it'll be really close. I think it could be similar to, like I said, with Baltimore. I think the Bills can start out real hot, build a big lead, and then Jacoby Brissett's going to have to um, win the game, and I don't think he's going to be able to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Bills' defense is, is uh, improved, um, and their secondary is very, very good, with Shadavius White leading that group. Being healthy. Yep. Now, I made a mistake. You said now after this Bills game, Deshaun returns. It's week 12 against the Buccaneers in, ten, uh, in in Cleveland, but it's only the 11th game of the season, so Deshaun will not be there. Okay, Brady. okay, okay. Yeah, because of the bye week. Um, yeah, they're losing to Tampa. Yeah. I don't know, Brady. Brady's taking that little leave. Their series are banged up. Was... Lost the center for the season. There's you no have no, you have no doubt about no the worries. Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Tom Brady. If anybody deserves a pass on taking a two-week leave of absence, it's Tom Brady. He's been in the league for twenty-plus years. There's preseason and training camp is just nothing to him. He's not going to learn anything new, really. He's he's knows all that he's going to know. This is just it, for him. For people in his his um in his point of view. This is the, a waste of time, waste of time um, getting it, it's regular season and then postseason. Like it, 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 there's no worries for it. Like, why would, why would I worry about Tom Brady taking two weeks off in a meaningless games, missing meaningless games in the preseason and training camp? Like, okay, that's we saw what he did. We saw what he did when he went to the Buccaneers the first year in a pandemic. I'm just poking fun at you. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, no. So week 13, they're in Houston. Starting game. And Deshaun Watson returns December 4th at 1 o'clock. I think Deshaun Watson is going to ball out. I do. I think they're going to – I think Cleveland's going to win. I think Deshaun's going to ball out. I think that running game is going to be hitting on all cylinders that game. I think the play-action game is going to be set up real nice. And Amari will probably have a big game. One of his four yeah. big games a year. Yeah. You think Deshaun comes in as gives him an immediate spark? Because after not playing since, let me check the date, in December of 2020, I think he's yeah, going to no, come no. out with some rust. That game, that game 
I just think the emotions again, we've seen it before where players, you know, of their former teams ball out. I think Deshaun is capable of that. I'm not saying it's going to continue past this week. I'm just saying for that game, his return game, I think he's going to ball out against the Houston Texans because it's the Houston Texans. It'll be almost 23 months exactly on the day from his last game, January 3rd against the Titans in week 17 of 2020. Now, after that stretch, the Browns, I can see the Browns during the season, six and five or seven and four. So long as they can steal that game against the Jaguars and they take care of business against the Steelers and the Panthers. Yeah, I don't see them being Baltimore, Cincinnati, Buffalo, or Tampa in that stretch. Miami and New England are the other two games, which are definitely winnable. Yeah, they can come in seven and four. They beat the Texans. Now they're eight and four. But the end of their schedule is really tough. They got the Bengals on the road week 14, then the Ravens week 15, to be dated where that game is going to be played. Week 16, they're playing home versus New Orleans. Week 17 in Washington, then week 18 in Pittsburgh. It's a pretty tough way to end the season. That's why I think Deshaun's going to struggle the rest of the year. Yeah. I think they're lucky to win three of those games. Three of them on the road. Only one non-playoff team in there. Yeah, maybe you're two. getting into the later later stages of the season. Teams are starting to hit on all cylinders. You're just coming back. Um, you're playing really good defenses in that stretch. Like I don't think you named one bad defense in that last uh, four or five games you just said. Mm. Um, three of them are divisional opponents. Yeah, you're getting into winter football. Starting to get cold. Yeah, I, I could see him. That's where he's going to start to, like I said, he's going to, I think he could ball out against Houston. And then I think he's going to struggle the rest of the year. And the rust is really going to, the rust and the level of talent he's going to play is going to show that he's, he's not where he once was yet. And he's got to get back to that now. That is very valid. Okay. My prediction for them this season will be nine and eight, because I think they're going to lose three of those last five games. I don't have him being the Buccaneers week 12. That's lost. Week 11 versus the Bills. Week 10, I do have Miami. Then week 7 and 8 versus the Bengals. So they can start like 5 and 1 or 6 and out. And there's Wait, a chance. So you're, so you're saying they're 9 and 8. Are you still sticking with the prediction that the Browns are going to come in last place in the division? I think that's that's a good point. Okay. Because I have them splitting with the Steelers. I think they can honestly beat in week 3 and lose week 18 when they're both pushing to make the postseason. I just realized I'm going 8-9 and nine of Carolina winning week one. That was my okay. mistake. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Because I was about to say, you're going to have all three, all four of your AFC North teams winning, you know, having a positive record above 500 record. Is, yeah. 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 yeah and I also, stick. Go ahead. I also have them beating the Chargers. So that, that was part of the reason why I have them above 500. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, my re- I didn't. I didn't have it in front of me, but my record is probably much lower than yours. I probably have more around like five, five wins. Okay. That four to six range. Um, You're lower on them. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen. There's gonna, you know, there's gonna be bad teams in the NFL. Not every team is gonna do really good. They're not all gonna hit their full potential. So can't I say that. Think, huh? Can't say that. Not allowed to. Why can't I say that? I'm joking. Looks <laughs> like um I. I We'll talk. I mean, 
uh, call me next year and maybe I'll be higher on the Browns going into the season because I think they can make a, a couple moves. Deshaun Watson's going to be, you know, in, in game shape and, and ready to play. He's going to have a half a season, well, less than half a season on his, under his belt for the first time in a long time. Maybe I'll be higher on the Cleveland Browns next year. Outside of Deshaun, like, I'm not, like, from a football perspective, good move. Amari Cooper, while I'm not high on him, came in for $18 million a year. Now that looks like a steal. That's Christian Kirk money. Christian Kirk's not in receiver number two in some cases. So I think Cooper was a good move. You're able to retain David Njoku, who they like a lot, clearly. The yep. offensive line similar. They had a solid offseason. But now we're going to shift gears to Green Bay. Because Aaron Rodgers, earlier last week, had some comments on the younger receivers that many fans will probably object to. They're like, oh boy, here we go. After he takes this massive extension, saying the young guys, especially young receivers, we've got to be way more consistent. Talking about drops, talking about running the wrong route, a lot of bad route decisions. We just got to be better in that area. And this was following a penalty-filled joint practice with the Saints that included a, uh, a drop on a uh, wide-open ball for Romeo Dobbs. Now, my question for you is, is the Packers' title window closed? Or in a way, could this season revitalize and restore the, the hopes that were once there for for Green Bay? So before I get to that, I do want to say he also did say, like, when asked if those comments were uh, about, um, uh, is his last name Dubs? Is that his last name? We'll go Dubs. You can say or Dubs. Just... Some people think it's Dubs, Dubs. Dubs, okay. reference doesn't say. All right, so uh, when – if asked if those comments were about Dobbs' drop, he said, uh, quote, um, not necessarily. And he also mentioned uh, the second-year wide receiver, Amari Roger, uh, or Rogers, uh, ran the wrong route on Jordan Love's third interception versus the uh, 49ers. I just want to comment before I get to uh, what I think about the Packers this season. With Aaron Rodgers, right? I've had a, interest, a weird and interesting relationship with Aaron Rodgers uh, since I've become a football fan. And it stems from me being a Patriots and a huge Tom Brady fan. So for the last decade plus, I have heard nothing but, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback of all time. Uh, from a talent perspective, Aaron Rodgers is the, is the best. Aaron Rodgers this, Aaron Rodgers that. Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers is this. Aaron Rodgers is that. And I just pointed to, I, I, eventually I just got fed up with it. And I was just like, and, and it's, it. You'll, you'll hear me talk about it. I've talked about it before and I'll talk about it, you know, until I'm blue in the face. Don't fall in love with the talent. The talent might blind you. And you'll be like, oh, look at this gaudy stuff. Look at the look at the angles on his arms. Look at the throws he's making. Oh my God, they're beautiful. This and that. Listen, Peyton Manning didn't have beautiful arm, and Peyton Manning is inarguably a top three quarterback of all time. And we saw he was throwing duck passes like it was nobody's business. All right, his I think his um, oh God, which record was it? It was either the single season touchdown record or the career all-time touchdown record to Demarius Thomas, that throw. Go back and look at that throw in the uh, front corner of the right side of the end zone, his pass to Demarius Thomas. That ball was spinning like crazy and crazy, and Demarius Thomas just caught it with his hands. The talent will expose you. Does the t Is the talent indicative of winning? That's what I will always ask you. And you'll come back and say, 
Brandon, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It's not indicative of winning because look at Aaron Rodgers' playoff record. Look at how he has performed in the postseason. It's not up to greatest talent in the quarterback position of all time standards. It's not. And when you're going to compare him to Tom Brady, well, then you best come correct because there's no comparison. Now I'm going to move into the the interesting and weird relationship I got with Aaron Rodgers because over the last couple of years, I have actually started to like Aaron Rodgers a lot. I've started to kind of become an Aaron Rodgers defender because mostly because the talks have died down about Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. Those talks started to die down because everybody saw what, what you needed to see that because then it became the, the, the new thing is, uh, Oh, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Now it's Tom Brady versus Josh Allen. When none of these guys compared to Tom Brady, stop mentioning them with Tom Brady. But I started to like Aaron Rodgers and defend Aaron Rodgers a lot more. Now, one thing I've always hated about Aaron Rodgers, though, is this passive-aggressive, prima donna-type attitude, yes. It's very LeBron-esque, if I do say so myself. Like, I say Tom Brady is more of a Michael Jordan, where when I say that, if when I compare those two, MJ and Tom, they say it directly to your face. They're going to, they might scream and swear at you and cuss you out, but they're going to do it straight to your face. Doesn't matter if it's on live on camera during a game or it's in practice when nobody's watching. They're going to do it to your face. Aaron Rodgers and, Le- and LeBron James are passive aggressive. It's the body language. It's the uh, shrug shoulders. It's the turning the head, the heads down. It's the, oh, uh, the eye rolling when the, when the receiver runs the wrong route or he drops the pass. It's the calling the teammates out publicly. You don't do that. You don't call your teammates out publicly, especially when you are the leader of the team. You handle that behind closed doors. This is a private matter. Don't air out your dirty laundry. I hate that. If you have a you're a teammate with somebody. You're about to go to war with them. Basically, is what they consider is you're going to war with them. These are my guys versus your guys. It's us against you, us against them. And you're going to call your boys out publicly and say they're they're making mistakes. Why don't you do that behind closed doors? Call them. In. Now, he did after the fact, I believe, or even if he did before the fact, then leave it behind closed doors. Why are you telling the media? <clears throat> Now that now, now it's a subject, now it's a topic. Everybody's talking about it. And now you look bad, Aaron Rodgers. It's not a good look. You have to stop with this passive aggressiveness. Face-to-face is how leaders are made. Why do you think MJ and Tom Brady are considered the greatest leaders and they are not considered, they are the greatest winners of all time? It's because they handled it face-to-face and behind closed doors. Now, to the green. Now that I got that out of the way, to the Green Bay Packers and what I think of this season. What what you said, the title window isn't closed. Listen, when you got Aaron Rodgers, the title window is open. For me, he's still the second best quarterback in the league. So if that's the case, you the title window is open. Yes, Devontae's gone. The team is relatively still similar. I think they lost a, cu- a couple of other uh, key players. I can't name them. Yeah, David Bakhtiari back and Elton Jenkins at the tackle. They spot. do got some some players coming back. 
I feel like did they lose Zadarius Smith this season or was that last season? Yeah, Zadarius Smith, he was only playing one game for them last year, but he's okay. now at a division rival on the edge in Minnesota. Yeah, now he's gone. So they've lost some key plays, uh, players, but they still have a, a really – I mean, that defense is still very good. Jair Alexander, um, I'm forgetting one of, the, um, one of the safeties' names uh, off the top of my head is very good. I can't think of it. Um, but um, – Oh, I'm drawing a blank on their defense now, but I know that they have a very solid defense. Adrian Amos, were you thinking of their retained? Darnell Savage, those are their two. Both, starters. Yes, both of them. They have very. They, they, thank you. They have two a very good two, uh, tandem uh, safety duo, and I know their front line is still pretty good too, even though I'm blanking on uh, all their names. Um, but yeah, and like you said, Bakhtiari's back. The O line should be healthy this season. Um, Aaron Jones is still there. Tanyan's coming back. Uh, uh, AJ Dillon, who you're very high on, John, is uh-huh. is uh is going to be there as the backup running back, and I think you think is going to probably take over as the starting running back maybe later this season. But I say, listen, the receivers might be a little bit of a weakness, but Aaron Rodgers, you're considered the most talent, talented quarterback of all time. That's what I hear all the time, right? I hear, I listen to first take. I li- I hear Stephen A. Smith say this is the greatest talent at a quarterback position I have ever seen. He's a bad man well if you're a bad man go take a bunch of low i won't say go take a bunch of non uh no name receivers really and make them better because that's what tom brady did basically his whole career go look at um uh drew Brees. marquise colson was a late round draft pick if he wasn't undrafted he made him a pro bowl caliber wide receiver jimmy graham wasn't very highly touted coming out what did Jimmy Jim Graham was fighting Rob Gronkowski as the best tight end of football for some years? The great quarterbacks create talent. Aaron Rodgers, you've been gifted. Nobody wants to talk about this since day one. You have been gifted a, a an elite level of receiver play and tight end. Jermichael Finley was a Pro Bowl caliber tight end for those couple of years when Rodgers was playing with him. Go look at his first two years. He had five number one, basically number one wide receivers, maybe at some point in the – all right, I won't say number one. Five Pro Bowl caliber receivers at one point in his career for those two of his first two starting years. He has been dealt a great hand. Now you don't have that anymore. Now it's Alan Lazard as your number one, basically. Sammy Watkins. Randall Cobb. And then you got the rookies. One of them I'm very high on. I'm, I'm, I think it's Christian Watson, if I'm not mistaken. That uh, of North Dakota State. Yeah, yeah. He's like six three. He runs like a speed. four. Yeah, yeah. He's fat. So him, I'm high on. So Aaron Rodgers, make these guys now. If you're that guy, be that guy. So you touched on a lot right there. Yeah. <laughs> now you have Rodgers above Mahomes. I would assume. Look. Yeah, right above Mahomes is number three for me. Rodgers gets a lot of criticism for not winning the postseason. That's kind of the biggest thing that mars his his legacy. He wins yep. the Super Bowl, though, with Mike McCarthy in 2010. That stands out. That's one of the most impressive feats any quarterback could accomplish. Now, the following season, he wins 15 games. 15-1. and one. Yep. Not too many teams do that. But in the first round, he goes against that New York Giants defense, one that you hand Tom Brady a pass to play against because that defensive line was insane. Tom Brady was constantly being pressured by the team. Aaron Rodgers was act four times, five quarterback hits. They lose 20 to 37. 
That's tough. I mean, yep. defense is heading up 37 points. The following season, they lose to San Francisco, which is kind of a theme as well for him in the postseason in the yep. divisional rounds, 31 to 45. That was a really fun playoff game. Um, <laughs> this, to see the 49ers stand out. Following season, they lose the 49ers again in the first round, the wild card. The next season, 12 and 4. Lose to Seattle. You'll probably remember that game for yep. the the iconic uh, onside kick that uh, I yep. won't say the player's name for Packers fans' sake that they did oh, not recover. <laughs> I won't say it. I'm unintentionally not mentioning his name. He shouldn't be mentioned in this podcast. 2015, they lose to Arizona. Another heartbreaking defeat in a divisional round of Carson Palmer. Yeah, Carson Palmer. 2016, the Falcons team that won to the Super Bowl, 44 points. I mean, that's. You're not going out there and getting up that many points. People forget those years, the Packers' defenses were often holding them back. The special team so often was holding them back. And while Rodgers didn't play up to his standard oftentimes, he made some incredible plays. In order to get to that Falcons game, he had to make one of the craziest throws against the Cowboys just to send them against. That Cowboys' offense was insane. Pass them to the, the NFC Championship game, one of the best throws I've ever seen to the sideline, to which Jared Cook. Right? Yeah, Jared Cook, yeah, it was. I'm not really holding that year against him. 2017, they missed the playoffs for a second time. 2018, 6-9-1. Those years were injury-filled. Obviously, Michael McCarthy was fired. Joe Philbin came in. It was, you know, it was a changing of the guard. The Mike... Joe Philbin. <laughs> Matt LaFleur comes in. 2019, they beat Seattle in the divisional round. They go up against the 49ers and lose. This is like the third time in his career at this point in the... Uh, conference championship, 20 to 37. That team went on to the Super Bowl. 2020, a year ago, he goes up against the team that won the Super Bowl in the divisional round again, the Buccaneers. Yep. All of these games, his defense is holding him back in many ways. The special teams is not good. And special teams was another great example of how they lost the 49ers like a fifth time in his career in the postseason, or the fourth. I mean, we saw it throughout the entire season, whether it was kicks blocked punts even return team i remember joe joe hayden blocked a, a field goal against the packers and it should have been a, a touchdown that would have enabled the steelers to have all the momentum to beat green bay but for some bizarre reason he was called off sides when he clearly was not off sides and that play drove me wild but it was another example of the packers being undisciplined on special teams and making costly mistakes that frankly killed the momentum yeah no um no, I won't discredit that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a he had a good defense for those first um, uh, the playoff uh, the Super Bowl run they had the year after, and then the year after that it started to deteriorate. But for those two to three ish years, he had a very good defense, an elite defense actually. Um, then it fell off through those uh, uh like six or seven eight years, and it really has started taking over the last two years. His defense has started to step up. Um. Is that what they yeah, need? it's what they need. Um, but th there are the shortcomings. Now, what you didn't mention is that his his playoff wins. I don't have them in front of me, but one that I know sticks out to me right away. One of his playoff wins. I forget how many he's got in his uh, career. It's it's nine or eleven. Or eleven. One of them, I believe, is against the Minnesota Vikings, and the quarterback at time that was playing that game was Joe Webb who was a former receiver, I believe. Um, and then there's a couple other games where he plays, I think, backup quarterbacks or less than good quarterbacks. 2012, you're alluding to. 
Yeah. So for me, and, and that the ones that stick out the most is that year against um when he lost against the Giants. You're 15 and one, bro. That team was stacked. Like I, I like I mentioned before, Greg Jennings, Jordy Nelson, Donald Driver, J, uh, James, James Jones, I think his name was. Uh, the touchdown yep. machine with the hoodie. Uh, ran, uh, a rookie, Randall Cobb. Tight end, Jermichael Finley. You had James Starks and Ryan Grant in the backfield. Did you mention Greg Will- uh, Greg Jennings? Greg Jennings, yeah. He was one of the first. Yeah, he was the number one. He was the first um, player named? Yeah. I the understand. O-line was really good. Uh, um, the names aren't coming to my head, but I know it was very good. TJ Lang or TJ Yang was one of the guards. Uh, they had a very good O-line. Defense was very good. I think you had a young Clay Matthews, Charles Woodson. Um, oh, God. B.J. Raji. B.J. Raji. Desmond Bishop. Desmond Bishop. Uh, Raymond Williams. Morgan Burnett. There was, the, there was that safety that they had that, that suffered a fractured vertebrae. That was Nick Collins. Nick Collins. He was great. That team was very good. And you had – um. Uh, a solid special team. So I don't know if Crosby. And by the but, way, we I didn't even mention AJ Hawk in there as well. AJ Hawk, gotta give the respect to AJ Hawk. Shout Absolutely. out Pat McAfee. Um, yeah, I mean that the, that one stands out to me the most because it's just like that team was stacked, man, and you couldn't beat the Giants. And that year, the Giants were not that good. Yes, the D line was incredible, like it was like it was for a lot of those years. But <sighs> I just think I just look at them like. Man, Aaron Rodgers, the, the the shortcomings, not very good. When you don't show up in the postseason, it is just not very good. Now, if you're going to ask me if the title – I said the, the title window is always open with Aaron Rodgers when you have him as your quarterback. I still am winning the division this year. I have the faith Aaron Rodgers is going to figure it out with these receivers. And I think they're going to be a top seed. Like I said, I think the top teams in the NFC are the Bucs, Rams, and uh, uh, Green Bay Packers. I think those are the top three teams in the uh, in the NFC. So Green Bay is going to be right there. If they get, I don't think they're going to be able to pull off another number one seed, getting another home home uh, home game. I don't know about that. That one's going to be tougher this year. Yeah, well, that, I think. That, yeah. I think one good answer to when you look at Mike McCarthy-led teams that are super talented and never live up to expectation in the postseason especially, I think there usually is a common denominator, and that is very much him, Mike McCarthy. So I think that's one of the reasons why. And like I said before, just whether it was him running for his life against the Giants in that 2011 game, he led the team in rushing yards. That's how shaky and how tough it was playing that staunch Giants line. Mm-hmm. But my takeaway when I look at this year's team, I didn't like them taking Quay Walker, an off-ball linebacker, in the first round when they, when they could have went Christian Watson then. And with the pick, they used the trade-up to get Christian Watson, took maybe a George Pickens, but that's in the past. This defense is incredible. You look at Devondre Campbell last year becoming a, a, a pro bowler. Now you add in Devontae Wyatt in there as well. The defensive line is loaded. The secondary, Eric Stokes last year, improved and got better and better. This could be one of the three or four best defenses this season. And at the same time, with the healthy O-line and the running back room, so long as Aaron Rodgers can just continue to have these receivers grow while the year goes on, you just want to catch lightning in a bottle. I say this before, again, again, you look at the Bengals last season. They were a 10-win team, but they caught breaks. They got to go up against the Raiders in the first round. 
Then the second round, they caught a break yet again. They went up against one of the worst number one seeds ever in Tennessee. I mean, they were far from a number one. They win those two games, and then all it took was the defense making big-time plays and, more importantly, a culture being cultivated to come back and, and beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium after being behind. And I look at that AFC, it is so much more deep and so much tougher than this NFC, and it's not even close. Tom Brady, look, I love him. He's getting up there in age. Matthew Stafford's got the tendonitis in his elbow. There is a pathway to go into the Super Bowl this year for the Packers, and the irony in it all is it's the least expected season, where the expectations are low. The memes with the receivers are high, because this guy's out here saying Alan Lazard's going to be a Hall of Famer. The fact of the matter is, there is a pathway. I, I do have concerns that they haven't developed these wide receivers per se. You look at what Kyle Shanahan and Mike, uh, not Mike, Sean McVay do developing their talent, and they look at what the Packers have done. Outside Devontae Adams, when he broke out in 2019, they haven't had that development from the skill positions per se. That is the one concern. But if the defense can just help you win this division, and you catch your break in the first round of the playoffs, and then Christian Watson has a big-time game where him and Aaron Rodgers are on the same page. And you find yourself in the AFC champ or the NFC Championship game against, let's say, the Rams. All it takes is winning one game. We saw last year with the Bengals. No one had them being the Chiefs. And Joe Burrow pulled through. Now you're in the Super Bowl again. And while I'm not in agreement with Aaron Rodgers taking all the money, he's clearly up to the task to develop in his wide receiver room. I don't like the passive-aggressive comments. But I do like this defense. I have trust one of the four best quarterbacks, one of the three best quarterbacks in the game. And I think ultimately, with the expectations being low, the opportunity this year for the Packers is incredibly high. Yeah. No, I agree. On the upside for the receiver room as well, I like a lot. Christian Watson has the upside of being a thousand yards guy. Willie, probably not, but I think he can get to that level by the end of the year. Romeo Dubs was. Another player who, as a rookie, he can have 750 yards. Alan Lazard's a great blocker. Sure, as a receiver, he only had 500 yards last year. But that's a guy you want in the field, typically, with the way I think they're going to implement both of the running backs more on this offense. Robert Tanyan is a tight end that he trusts. All around, I'm excited for this season for Green Bay because no one's going to be hyping them up, and that's why I like so much about it. I'm tired of hearing all this. Oh, this is the Packers' year, man. It never is. So long as they can avoid avoid the 49ers this year, they're going to be in business. <laughs> Surely. Yeah. One uh, last thing I'll say, because, uh, you know, I came a little hard down on Aaron Rodgers. I will say he's made both his head coaches that he's had, Mike McCarthy and Matt LaFleur, both of them. They, I think he's not to LaFleur, though. I mean, he just hasn't been Mike McCarthy. Like his late game management for McCarthy. Well, yeah, no, that too. But I'm just saying with Matt LaFleur, like, think about it like this. You tell me a coach in the league coming into that scenario with those Green Bay Packers, how are you not going to succeed? You have post-AB and Big Ben, the best receiver quarterback duo by far. It's not even close. All the running backs, the O-line, and yep. rapidly developing defense. I mean, yeah. Put, put Dan Campbell in that situation. What do you think he does? Succeeds. Like put a lot of coaches in that situation. And I mean, and that was no shot at Dan Campbell because I love Dan Campbell. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, a young head coach, like put them in that, you know, Josh McDaniels will probably would have probably succeeded in that situation. If you Maybe. How about coach? Pence. Okay. 
Maybe. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers could overcome that. That one would have been hard. <laughs> I don't think so. Coach Pencil. Now, is your what's your prediction this year for the Packers? Because I have them going to the NFC Championship game. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to um, dive into too much because I know we're saving our um, our sure. predictions episode for right before the season. I will say, obviously, I have them winning the NFC North. I have them as a top three team uh, in the NFC. Uh, yeah, and that's what I'll just say. I ha- I'm a top three team in the NFC. That is certainly more than fair. Now, I want to switch gears to a team we were talking about before when we were talking about the Cleveland Browns, and that is the San Diego. No, 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 no. That is, Unken, that is the Los Angeles Chargers. They made a big-time move. And that was signing arguably the best player in his position, who was healthy last season, enduring James to a four-year, $76.4 million contract, which will make him the highest-paid safety in NFL history. Now, they've made a lot of moves. They, they extend Mike Williams, who really developed last year and proved himself as one of the best number two receivers. They go out and get J- uh, J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack, of course, on the edge. Mm-hmm. In the draft, they went out and get Zion Johnson, uh, a guard that's highly versatile from Boston College. And while he's undersized, just has so much play strength. And one that I think is going to come in and really surprise people in this first season starting at right guard. And most notably, with all the moves that their GM, Tom Telesco, has made, you have, I'm not going to say the best young quarterback in the NFL, but you have a quarterback in Justin Herbert who has every physical tool. And his first two seasons threw for over 9,000 yards. Now, sure, he got a 17th game this last season, but it rounds after not playing his first game of his rookie year to 16 games flat. And this guy has been nothing short of historical as a rookie and nothing short of remarkable as a sophomore. He didn't hit the sophomore slump. He only leveled up. And while I think there was another level to this offense, in a way, they can improve. With the way they rebuilt this offensive line, you have Rashawn Slater at left tackle. You go and get Matt Filer at guard. And the Packers, they decided to pay a running back in Aaron Jones over a center, one of the best ones in the game in Corey Lindsley. I like the Packers' moves. I think their GM is solid. That's another one of those moves. It's just a head-scratcher, along taking Jordan Love, a train up to get him. Those moves really do mind-boggle me. I don't get them. But to the Chargers' benefit, they had themselves an incredible, one of the three best centers in the game, arguably the second best. And now you're looking at this offensive line with a new addition at right guard. You say to yourself, what is going to be the limiting factor this season? Last year was Max Crosby just killing them on the edge. Uh, with the right tackle and their interior defensive line not stopping the run well enough. Now you're adding Khalil Mack as well as Joey Bosa. And you say yourself, this is maybe the best edge rush duo we're going to see in the last decade. So my question for you is, we're about to jump into the Chargers schedule, and I'm going to ask you the question, is this the Chargers year where they finally live up to expectation and not only make the playoffs, but make a storm? They win multiple playoff games and make a push for the Super Bowl. Uh, so, for me, I guess, are those your expectations, John? Like AFC Championship or bust? Or a divisional round? If they make the playoffs and get knocked down the first round after missing it last season, yeah, that's a disappointing season. Because Khalil Max 30, some people are saying it's going to a little bit wan on the tooth after a less productive past few seasons. The window is now. 
You have mm-hmm. Justin Herbert on this contract. You're going down making all these moves. You're building an offensive line. You're getting him a fair amount of weapons to take over. And this ASU West, one team has to win it, and one team needs to establish itself or for the Chiefs reestablish themselves as the proven number one team. Um, yeah, so for me, because they've missed the playoffs the last two years, right? Justin Herbert hasn't made the playoffs. Three seasons. In three seasons, he hasn't made the playoffs. Um, so I think I think a successful season will ma- be making the playoffs. Yeah, I think it'll be disappointing if they knock down the first round. So I would probably have them, if they don't at least reach the second round, I think it's a little bit of a failure of a season. Now, do you all, is this the, you asked me, is this the Chargers moment? Like, is this their... This where it all comes together. Yeah, no, I don't. Not, I just, no, I don't, I don't think they're going to, I think they can make some noise. I don't think they're going to be, if you, if you hold my head to the fire, I would, I would say they're not going to be there uh, in the AFC championship game. I, I don't think so. There's a chance they could. Let me see, hold on. Is the, the AFC, right? So. While you're pulling that up, you want to hear something wild about this team. Yeah. So we talked about the Packers going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and maybe Jordan Love after. The Chargers went from a borderline Hall of Famer in Phillip Rivers to an all-world talent in Justin Herbert. And yeah. since 2009, when they won 13 games, the last 12 seasons, while having elite quarterback play, they have made the playoffs two times. You know what? I take back what I said. So I think the Chargers actually can make the AFC championship run because I'm looking at the AFC and it, it kind of is a little bit of, uh, wide open right now. Uh, obviously, with Kansas City losing Tyree Kill, we got to see what they are. Um, Indianapolis could take the leap. I, I do believe in uh, Matt Ryan, but we'll see if the age maybe hits him this year. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, the AFC North, I love Cincinnati. They're going to be there for me. I think they're right there. Uh, and Buffalo, Buffalo has a chance too. Just not the biggest believer in Josh Allen, like you guys know. Um, so I think those are the teams right there that are going to be like competing. Like there's a couple of teams and they're all kind of like right there fighting with each other. Can they make a Super Bowl? I'm thinking about it. Can they make a Super Bowl? Let me dive into their schedule. Now, I got to keep in mind they play in their division. The Kansas yeah, City Chiefs, with yeah. the most ability of any team yeah. outside of New England, and maybe they're more than Pittsburgh, given how long Andy Reid has been there. It's been almost a decade. Think yeah. about that. That's insane. Right. And with Patrick Mahomes, you can never count the Chiefs out. Yeah. Now, with the Raiders and Devontae Adams, the best receiver in football who worked with Derek Carr. We might talk about the Raiders in a few minutes. You add that to a healthy Darren Waller and the slot machine on the inside. That Raiders offense is so potent, and they have Chandler Jones with Max Crosby on the edge. And the Broncos just added Russell Wilson to a team mm-hmm. that thinks they're a quarterback away from making a Super Bowl push themselves. They start the season, they go, they're at home against Las Vegas, then they go to Kansas City, they got Jacksonville, they're in Houston, they're in Cleveland, Dodeshawn, they're at home versus Denver, then at home versus Seattle, got their bye week week eight, on the road against Atlanta, on the road against the, the 49ers, 
at home versus the Chiefs week 11, on the road against the Cardinals week 12, Raiders week 13, Miami week 14 at home, week 15 you're playing the former number one seed in the AFC and the Tennessee Titans at home, then week 16 you're playing Indianapolis at their place, week 17 you're at home versus the Rams, and week 18 you're in Denver. You're playing right there, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, basically 11 to 13 playoff caliber teams. Off schedule, especially those last two games, uh, the Rams and the, uh, the Broncos. That's the, Col- the Colts before that. Colts right before that, too. Um, and- God, man. I just think the AFC is kind of wide open. Any of these teams can shoot through the gap and, and take it this year. Like I said, there's for me it, in the AFC West. I think for me it's Denver, Kansas City, and LA. Uh, Vegas, I'm not the biggest believer in Derek Carr. Um, Indianapolis has a shot. Uh, Baltimore and Cincinnati have a shot, and then Buffalo has a shot right now. And I think my New England Patriots are a dark horse. So, Honestly, I, I, with, go ahead. With the Raiders, I'm not worried about Derek Carr as much as that offensive line. Because when we're looking at these teams really nitpicking, and outside the right tackle spot for them, the Raiders have arguably the worst. I mean, the Dolphins upgrade a fair amount. The worst offensive line in the entire AFC. And I think that's what I'm worried about. More so with that and the depth of this team. Because the weapons they have are second to none. You like Josh Jacobs a lot. That offense is, they can beat you with different players each and every single week. Now they have, oh, I, I meant I meant left tackle, Colton Miller. Uh, Alex Leatherwood had a, a very shaky rookie season being moved around between guard and, and tackle. That offensive line, I think, will be what ends their season. You know, um, I'm looking back at our um, my rankings when I did them, when we talked about the AFC West. So I had the Chargers coming in first place, but I remember saying, the Chargers and Chiefs are the top two teams, and they're going to be battling with each other, and I could see them flip-flopping one and two. And the Broncos and Raiders are going to be battling for three and four, in my opinion. They could flip-flop. I have Broncos-Raiders. So I'll, I'll just stick to it. I mean, I haven't made a decision on really which team is coming out for my prediction our prediction episode for the AFC. Who's going to make it a Super Bowl? I haven't come to a decision yet because I think it's so wide open. The NFC, I'm pretty – I'm set on two teams that I, I think are – I just have to decide over one uh, one of the two teams. So the AFC is open for me, and it, the Chargers could be a team that, uh, you know, go all the way this year. I don't think – I will, you know, a little uh, um, teaser for our predictions episode. The Super Bowl champion this year is going to be an NFC an NFC team again. I do want to say the Chargers don't have history on their side because the Chiefs have won this division in each of the last six seasons. And that is something that they have to dethrone before they can really think about contention. Because if you can finish ahead of the Chiefs, odds are you're going to be one of the top two seeds. So with that in mind, you're going to have a home playoff game when you get out. And then it's all about, can you beat the Bills in Buffalo? Or for all we know it, it could be Baltimore, honestly. I think the Ravens this year, another team that could finish 
and really surprise people as a top two. Seed. You know what you just hit on? So you, you didn't really hit on it, but you said something and just uh, clicked something in my head. If they do have to go to Buffalo or Baltimore in a playoff game in January, uh, warm weather teams sometimes get affected by that. I forget. Where did Justin Herbert go to college? Oregon. How's Oregon's weather? They're pretty hot, right? No, I think it's, you know, it's, it's the Pacific, so it's a lot like Seattle, you know. I've never been there. So a lot of rain, probably a lot of rain. and a But yeah, not, not dealing with a lot of cold or, or snow like Buffalo and Baltimore. I think it's fairly mucky there in the winters. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how he performs. We will see how he performs if he has to go to those places in, in, in January. That could be a problem. Because we've seen it that warm weather teams we've seen in the past they they go to you know these cold weather uh, towns or cities and they do not perform the same because they're so comfortable in their in their you know nice weather and sunshine. I do want to say I hate that LA uh, that the Chargers are in LA. It's just I don't think they're going to get the same love that they could somewhere else. Like LA is such not a town where it, there's so much going on in LA. If you're not good, they don't care. Like, and it's a, and it's a Lakers town. Like we all know that. Like Lakers is, is that city, and even they they don't show up for the Lakers games. Like you know, right away. Like it takes them a while to get to the LA games. I, it sucks for them because I, I don't even think because when they, if they do have a home playoff game, is there going to be more team more uh, more fans for the for their opposing team in the stadium? When the Steelers played them, there's a Steeler crowd. It just sucks for them. I think they should go. Listen, NFL, if you heard my episode on uh, on changing, send them to Hawaii. With their color scheme and their uniforms, I think it would be so cool. Honolulu Chargers. But I feel like we need two or Mariota for a Hawaii team. We probably do. With that being said, there are a few things that could limit this team. I like Mike Williams. I was talking about this in the Pick Side podcast, or Joel was. They don't have that one true burner that can just take the top over a defense that so many AOC teams have. Like a Tyreek Hill, even a Jalen Waddle, that top-end speed, the Chargers don't have that. Yeah, they don't have the, the guy like Travis Benjamin they used to. Hmm. And beyond that, we have no idea if Brand Staley is a good head of coach. A lot of yep. people have pointed to the analytics stuff, him going for and fourth down. It's not what I'm talking about. I think... All the times it went for and fourth down made a lot of sense, and people are just upset they didn't convert on those attempts. Maybe the plays and the play calling wasn't optimal, but I do like the Chargers' willingness to say, we have Justin Herbert, we're trusting maybe the most talented player we've ever seen at his age in his second season. We're putting the ball in his hands with a very capable offensive line, one of the best running backs. It makes sense to go for and be aggressive with this offense. That being said, all around, you missed the playoffs of this team last season, the defensive line, the game absolutely killed in the running game. There's a lot to prove. Now, he gets Khalil Mack, who had a career season when Staley was in Chicago in 2018. So there is some possibility for him to be revitalized in this defense. Has a resurgence. But overall, I think it's up in the air. Brent Staley, a, he had a solid uh, first year as head coach. But it's all about how he can lead this team and how the defense looks this season as a defensive-oriented head coach that used to play quarterback. And yeah, how they no, can I, maximize this talent. No, it's 100% a valid point. Uh, the Chargers head coach, I mean, they haven't really had a good head coach. I don't even know since when. You're really, like, you're insanely high on North Turner, right? No, not even close. 
I feel so bad. Probably Shaash. Um, Shaanan. Yeah, was probably the last uh, good, really good head coach. That was 17 yeah. years ago. Yeah, the Chargers. I mean, Philip Rivers was dealt a really bad hand over those years with the head coaching. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. We don't know about Brandon Staley. Is he? I mean, that's a big weakness for the uh, Chargers. Because we all know Andy Reid is a, an elite head coach in this league. We'll see. I'm excited for Hackett as well. We'll see what he looks like out through his time in Green Bay. Yeah, that one was a little bit surprised. I think they kind of put all their chips into the Aaron Rodgers basket. Yeah. And it kind of like, you know, egg in their face at the end of the day. I mean, they mm -hmm. still ended up with Russell Wilson, but you signed the guy who you thought you were going to get, you know, Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. Was Nathaniel Hackett their real decision? Like, was it just that we're going to sign Nathaniel Hackett? We really think we're going to get Aaron Rodgers? No, I don't or think was there's... there another guy that they had in consideration that they should have just went with anyway instead of the guy that, you know, you thought you were going to get Aaron Rodgers with? Now, I do want to familiarize you a little bit with Hackett. This is a guy who... I'll make the bull, the Bulls, the Bills offense in 2014 optimal when Kyle Orton was their starting quarterback and they won nine games that season. And then he goes to Jacksonville and works with Blake Bortles for four seasons uh, from 2015 to 2018. And the first two years of that until 2017 was ugly. But in that very season, they were a team high up 45 points on the Steelers in the postseason. And so I think Nathaniel Hack, given what he's worked with in his career up until Green Bay, has a good idea of how to run offenses. So I'm excited, man. I mean, he gets Russell Wilson now. He gets to show himself as a head coach. I think there's a lot of room for optimism. Now, this is a shorter episode. I want to keep it a little bit shorter. We've been going like over two hours. I'm like, I like to keep these, especially for me in post, around like an hour and a half. I think that's the optimal time just to really get the, the best product for our content. Now we're going to move to our final topic. It is the two-minute drill, but most of this won't be football-related. If you were here for the football, thank you. We do have one football story that I will cover, but I want to kick it to you. There was a, a big thing in the UFC world last night. I want to hear your breakdown. Yeah. Um, I just want to um, – uh, there were a couple other fights before I just want to get – before I get to the UFC. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll just touch on them quickly. Uh, the PFL yesterday in London, uh, Kayla Harrison – Basically dominates uh, Gingerova. She submits her via arm triangle with three minute, uh, three minutes into the first round. Um, that was pretty easy work. Kayla caught a body kick, took her down, worked to get the submission, and eventually got the submission. Um, next up, she's going to be uh, in the PFL Women's Lightweight Finals. It's going to be Kayla Harrison versus Larissa uh, Panchero. This is their third fight. They fought twice before. Kayla beat her both times. Both happened in 2019, May and December, respectively. Uh, the first one, Caleb, uh, I mean, sorry, Caleb beat her both times by decision in both fights. One was a three-round fight. Uh, the second one was a five-round fight. Uh, I expect Kayla to beat her again uh, later this year. Uh, on the mic, she did uh, low-key and high-key kind of sneak this. Uh, Chris Cyborg and uh, Amanda Nunes, she called them both out. She said, paraphrasing, like, if these Brazilians uh, want to see who's the best, they need to take off their track shoes and let's get it going. Um, moving on to a BKFC, uh, Mike Perry versus uh, Michael Venom Page, MVP. What a crazy fight this was. Um, 
right out of the gate, Mike Perry jumped to get the clinch, like I said he needed to, and uh, make this a grinding, grueling fight. They got um, separated. He got caught with two right hands, but then he landed a big right hand that uh, dropped Page to his uh, to a knee and was uh, awarded a knockdown. Uh, that was Perry's biggest round. Not net for me personally. I had him winning that round. Perry winning that round 10-8. It was his best round. It was the only round he won. It's a five round fight. For the next four rounds, rounds two through five, I had MVP winning. MVP was doing what I thought he was going to do, which is uh, create distance. You know be kind of flashy, technici- technical with his shots. Mike Perry did what I thought he was going to do, try to make it a grueling fight, get in the pocket, hang on him, make it a dirty, dirty fight. Uh, I just thought MVP was um, was winning the fight over that. And then we go to the judges, and the judges rule it a split draw. So in BKFC, I guess, I didn't know this, if it goes to a split draw, there's a chance that it could go to sudden death. So they, for the second time in BKFC history, it goes to a sudden death round. And then round six, Page starts off real, real strong and fast, landing several shots, head and body, mixing it up. And I, I felt he won the first minute of the fight. The last minute of the, uh, of the, uh, sorry, the round. It's a two minute round. Uh, the last minute of the round six was kind of back and forth. Perry, Perry, Ended it with two big shots. Um, and when it went to the judges again, the judges uh, awarded it to Mike Perry, which I thought was a very sh- uh, surprising uh, outcome. Uh, Mike Perry goes on the mic and he calls out uh, Jake Paul for a boxing match. Eh, I'm not really that interested. Uh, and MVP says that he underestimated Mike Perry, which I'm not surprised by because his whole demeanor and the way he was talking before the fight, he was he was basically writing off Mike Perry like this is no challenge. One thing I do say is, question, like, I wonder if Bellator kind of regrets letting MVP go and do this fight because he lost. So um, that's a question for Bellator to decide, not me. Uh, then we had Us- uh, Alexander Usyk versus Anthony Joshua, the rematch. Uh, Usyk was in full control for the first six rounds, in my opinion. I had it 5-1 going into the seventh. Uh, in, in the seventh round, Joshua started going to the body, but it wasn't consistent enough. Uh, and I still had Usyk winning that round. Then you go into round eight. And um, where do I have it? Then in round eight, Joshua really started to pick up uh, the body work even more, like really strictly going to the body in, in uh, round eight. And uh, by the end of the round, it for me, at the end of the round, I saw an Usyk that it started to take its effect and started taking some heavy breaths. And he was like, oh boy, the body work is starting to get uh, take its effect. Then going into the ninth, Joshua continued the body work, but then he also started to mix it up uh, going to the head where he landed some uh, good heavy shots. I think he won that that round, but that's where it ended. After that, Usyk went on and showed the heart of a champion in one's round 10, 11, and 12 for me. Uh, at the end of the day, I had it 9-3 Usyk. Um, but again, in a weird event, the judges, which I think all fight fans can agree, judging in boxing and MMA is, is, is complete crap, and it needs to be overhauled, and they need to learn how to actually judge these uh, judge these um, matches and fights. 
they had it a split decision for Usyk. So one judge gave the fight to, to Anthony Joshua, which I just did not see at all. I, I just I thought Usyk landed more and was more effective with the shots. Joshua just really stalked him. And one quote I saw on Twitter last night was the great Teddy Ast Atlas, a boxing trainer, highly entertaining and very knowledgeable. And he said, um, quote, boxer versus stalker, boxer always wins. Um, Usyk called out Tyson Fury on the mic afterwards. I don't think Tyson Fury is going to um, come out of retirement yet for this guy. He's not big enough. I would have to, I think Usyk needs uh, another big win over a name like uh, Deontay Wilder or something like that. Now, moving on to the big UFC event, which John also watched, uh, not along with me, but he watched at his own house. Um, oh boy, the Marab and uh, Jose Aldo fight, John. Oh man. Yeah, so Marab did what I thought he was going to do, which is relentless pressure and spam the takedowns. That's what I said in my preview. I said he's going to spam the takedowns, and that's what he did. He didn't get one takedown, though. Jose Aldo was, I mean, it was incredible to see him be able to defend those many takedowns. I mean, he was not going down. No, he wasn't, especially the one in the open mat where it wasn't against the cage where Marab just dived at him and still was able, he didn't go down. That was just incredible to me but the footwork i mean marab said on the mic afterwards like his footwork was insanely incredible and it was like he didn't expect him to be that good at, at defending the takedowns um jose wasn't active enough he he, he kind of just let marab just hang there and at some point in the fight when he was getting held up against the cage you saw it in his face he was like you know rolling his eyes shrugging his shoulders like this guy's not doing anything yeah i agree with you jose he's not doing anything it's boring for a viewer to watch that but you're in that situation. Get out. You have to get out of it. Like, I I don't... When it comes to judging, this is a rule that they don't give you points for defending a takedown. They believe that if you defend a takedown, that's your reward, is that you didn't get taken down. To me, it's kind of kind of a little bit, eh, because if you're defending... it, it Like, here with Marab. Marab, I, I forget... I, I can get the number right here. He was 0 for 16 on his takedown attempts in that fight. At some point, Jose has to get a little credit to the from the judges that he defended 16 takedowns. Now, yes, he's got to work out of those uh, getting hugged up against the cage, but he also defended all 16. So there's got to be a little credit for that. Jose just needed to be more active, and he wasn't. And you saw when he was going first and he was leading the dance, he was landing nice. But Marab just grinded it out and did what Marab does. Uh, I, felt, <clears throat> I felt like early he was going to win based off of the way he tried to set the tempo. He Marab, came out immediately. Yeah, yeah. Marab immediately came out. And I could tell he was going to be the one controlling the way the fight would be played because of that aggression. Yeah, yeah 100%. That, yeah. When you set the tone of the fight, yeah, it's going to be hard to get out of that. Uh, now, Moving on to the co-main event, which, oh boy, John, what a weird, crazy fight that was. That might, I tweeted at the time, that might have been the weirdest fight I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, so I got, I, I, I'll speak on it, but I, I got to go to my tweets from last night because I was just, I was like, oh my God, with this fight. So it started off like, it started off, you know, 
lukewarm. Uh, I, I believe uh, right out of the gate, actually, because it was. I'm sorry, but like after these fights, it's hard for my you know mind to corral them because it was just so much emotion going in those fights and the crazy stuff happening. So I believe Luke shot for a takedown real early in the first round, mm -hmm. and Costa was able to like um, defend it. But the, the full the full takeaway on this on this um, fight for me though. I was very interested that Costa decided to put – it seemed like he wanted to have Luke up against the cage, like he wanted to keep the fight there. That's never been Costa. Costa has always been like a swing and bang kind of guy. He's going to headhunt, and he's going to try and take your head off. So I was very interested in that, and that was in the first round because then Costa went for a takedown, and, and it just seemed it, it seemed like Costa wasn't fighting how Costa was before. Now going to that second round – both guys were shot after the first round. Those last two rounds, these guys were gassed. I mean, just go look at Luke Rockhold's body language. This guy at certain points during the fight was putting rest, head, hanging his head over and putting his hands on his knees and taking deep breaths. It was insane. I've never, I've never seen that before. He couldn't breathe out of his nose at some point. No, yeah, I think blood. he broke. Yeah, he broke his nose in the first round, and, and you could see it was bothering him. I think it demoralized. I tweeted throughout the night, right, that when I started to see his body language, Luke Rockhold, that he didn't want to be in there. And I said that not his mentality, he didn't want to be in there. I, the damage he took made him not want to be in there anymore. Like you said, the nose, he couldn't breathe out of his nose. He was getting hit to the body a ton. He was getting hit to the head. He was gassed. It just, he, now, but, uh, no, I'll dive in on, on Luke Rockhold. No, no, no. Let me, let me finish on Costa and then I'll go to Luke. Because I got a lot to say about Costa. <laughs> God, Costa. <laughs> this fight should have been over in round one. If Costa fights the way I know Costa was, or Costa was capable of, this should have been over in round one. Pre-Izzy, the pre-Izzy fight of Costa, he hasn't been the same the last two fights since he lost to Izzy. Pre-Costa, I mean pre-Izzy, Costa was a killer. He went for it. That Costa would have finished Luke Rockhold in the first round. Co Paulo Costa is not what he used to be. I'm sorry, but he's just not. I saw it in that fight. He wasn't a killer. There are opportunities. I felt like he lost. So many. There were so many times where Luke Rockhold, but like I back. said, he's bent over in front of you. He's turning his head with his hands. Like the, it, it was just so many opportunities where Luke is just exposing himself, leaving him wide open, mm -hmm. and Costa just staring at him, not being busy enough. I, I was very disappointed in in Costa's um, uh, performance there. Now, now, what I want to say about Luke? Luke showed a heart of a champion in that fight. Because like I said, the damage he took, it looked like he didn't want to be in there. But God damn it, man, did he freaking fight his ass off, though. He may not want to have been in there anymore, but he bit down on his mouthpiece, clenched his fist, and he threw. He landed multiple heavy body kicks. He landed a lot of heavy left hooks or straight left hands. A couple that rocked Costa a couple of different times. He stuck it out and he gave it everything he had. And for that, because he retired after the fight, the fight ended, uh, Coastal got the decision at the end.
He retired after the fight, Luke Rockhold. Congratulations on a champion, a champion's career, Luke, and enjoy retire, retirement. You sh- you showed a heart of a champion in that fight, and you didn't quit. And that that that's what a, a champion and a fighter is made of. So all the props to, to Luke Rockhold for that. The comeback too. Yeah, the comeback. Absence. I mean, the weirdest part, I do want to just mention before I move on to the main event, the weirdest part was literally the last couple of seconds of the fight where Rockhold gets top position on Paulo Costa and starts to wipe his bloody and broken nose all over Costa's face. It's not going to put any damage, but it's just like a F you to Costa. Like, here's my freaking, it's the, it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my entire life. My favorite were the clips where they'd show the replay and he would mouth F you. <laughs> and then he'll land a, a, a beautiful. I think it was a right hand straight to the straight to the dome. It was it was perfect. And Joe Rogan goes, "It's like this is out of a movie." <laughs> it is. It was. It was insane. It was like a movie. Now, great transition, John. Because talking about movies, the main event. Oh boy. So round one. Shocking. Shocking right out of the gate. Leon Edwards takes Kamaru Usman down. This is the first time in Kamaru Usman, I believe, 16 fights in his UFC career has ever been taken down. He had 100% takedown defense, and Leon Edwards was able to take him down. Shocked the hell out of me. It came out of nowhere, and I think it shocked even Usman because he didn't even see it coming. Now, Leon was able to work to get uh, Usman's back, had him in a little trouble there. But Usman was able to work to the end of the round and not get finished or take that much damage. Now, now we moved into the rounds two and basically all of round five until the last minute. Usman dominated. He took over and he took control. And it was very light, uh, akin to the Tyler Woodley fight, like I mentioned in my preview. If you watch that fight, it was very, very similar and very reminiscent of that fight. He Leon Edwards looked demoralized throughout those rounds and throughout the fight. There were time at the end of almost every round, Usman would be just staring him down, dogging him with the shoulders up, like flexed up, staring at Leon Edwards, basically probably in his head thinking, like you said, all that stuff before the fight. You're, one of Usman's favorite lines is, you taking what from who? And that's all I could think is in Usman's mind is that's what he's thinking at that moment. You're taking what from who? Because you're getting dominated right now. And Leon would just walk back to his corner with his head down, his shoulders shrugged in, his head, hands on the cage, just like, I don't, I don't. And, and, and I tweeted, I don't know, uh, I think it was round, I think it was round three. I th- Yeah, round three. I, I tweeted after that round, I said, I think Leon Edwards has realized he's wrong. He was wrong about what he was saying before the fight. Because then it, cause it, just, it just started to, you know, go out the door. I mean, at one point, towards the end of the fight, I just started nodding off. Like, I was ready to fall asleep. In the last minute of the fight, when the big thing happened, I was literally, like, my eyes were starting to close. I was like, okay, I'm going to get ready to fall asleep. I'm getting ready to send out a tweet saying, you know, Leon Edwards is wrong. Usman dominates. We're on to Usman versus uh, Hamza Chemaev. This and that. And Usman uh, ties uh, Anderson Silva's record for most wins uh, consecutively with 16. And then out of nowhere, 
Leon Edwards shows the right hand, makes Usman duck to the left, throws a beautiful left head kick, and sits Usman down, stiffs him. Done. I screamed out, I won't say it, the, the profanity, but I screamed out, holy S word, twice, loud as hell at one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't believe it. I was ready to fall asleep, and then I couldn't sleep for another half an hour to 45 minutes because I was like, the energy just came back. I was absolutely shocked. I couldn't believe what I just saw. Leon looked like he was done, defeated, demoralized. And he was able to land an insanely beautiful head kick that knocked Kamaru Usman out. And, and like I said, I was ready to send a tweet that Leon, you know, realized he was wrong. Even in the commentary, Joe Rogan and DC were saying, we were ready to write this guy's obituary. They were. They were saying, this is over. Leon, you have to do something. You, you look done. You look like this is, you're realizing that this wasn't the fight you thought it was. And like out of a movie, like John said, before I started getting into this, it's crazy. I tweeted, Rocky just happened in real life, and this guy's nickname is Rocky. You can't script it any better. Like they say, real life is crazier than fiction. Out of a freaking movie, just like Rocky, this guy's getting destroyed. He's getting beat. He's getting demoralized, and he lands the shot. And he goes absolutely bat S word crazy after the fight. Jumps the cage, starts going out to the fans, hugging it, hugging his team and whatnot. I was absolutely shocked. Now, John, I don't know if you want to say anything on the fight, because I'm gonna move on to what I think is gonna happen afterwards. If you wanna if say anything or I'm eating a slice of pizza. I got my <laughs> left hand, right? And Joe Rogan, like you're saying, is basically you know, he's, I forgot what you call the name, but his, his cast gets halfway down. And it's like, you know, Leon Edwards improved so much, but he underestimated how much Kamara Uzman improved after their last fight. He goes, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What? <laughs> and I, I, I watched, I dropped the pizza on the floor. I was like, the craziest, like they said, just a textbook move. Hit him with the doesn't even clench his fist. Just goes, no. and the kick was it was perfect and just an incredible ending to an otherwise disappointing match, yeah. which made it unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, if it go, it was one minute left in the fight. If it goes fifty more seconds, Usman's winning by a dominating fashion, probably winning four rounds to one. He probably just loses uh, the first round, and he, you know, ties Anderson Silva's sixteen uh, straight win record. Um, he goes on to move Hamza, uh, fight Hamza, like I said, and Leon falls down and he probably goes to fight Jorge Masvidal in the, in England next year. But how the tides turned. Best knockout kick ever. No, 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 no. Above Ronda no. Rousey? No, there's, there's so many. I mean, the one early, I hate to bring it up, but cause I'm a big Tony Ferguson fan, but if you saw that one earlier, you might've saw the memes or the gifts of it earlier this year, Michael Chandler knocking out Tony Ferguson with the front face kick where it's like it, it 
But that given what, was... not talking about the impressiveness of the kick, but more so given what was in stake and the circumstances. Yeah, no, you're off the top of my head, probably. Yeah, yeah. It was just a minute to go. Yeah, it was a minute left. Um, so what's next now? We all thought we were moving to Kamaru Usman versus Hamzat's got to fight next month against uh, Nate Diaz. Hamzat wins. He goes on and he fights Usman for the title next. Now we're going into the trilogy. It's 1-1. It's going to happen next year. There's hints. Dana was talking about it happening happening in England. The trilogy. Early thoughts on it. I didn't want to tweet it last night because I wanted uh, Leon Edwards to have his moment. You know what I mean? I don't want to, you know, take away and just start crapping on his moment because it's his moment. He won and let him have it. And now I will say in the in the trilogy fight, I Leon Edwards is not winning that fight. If come up because we gotta be honest, Usman was dominating that whole fight. He made one mistake, he got caught. Anybody can get caught, like they like like I say, like everybody says. It, it's a fight. Anything can happen. Are you going to tell me Leon Edwards is going to land that same thing again on Kamar Usman the next time? No. Usman's too smart of a fighter. He re, he knows his mistake now. He shouldn't even have been in that seat. What was one of my keys to victory? Don't make it a striking affair. There's a minute left in the round in the fight. Why are you not putting this guy up against the cage? And grinding it out. You're giving him a chance to win. I think Usman's going to realize that for the third fight. I think you're going to get a strict... I think the third fight's going to be even more boring. Because I think Usman's now going to double down on his grinding it out. Into, you're going to see what we kind of saw with uh, Marab and Jose. A little more action. And obviously Usman's going to get the takedowns. Because, again, I don't want to... The storyline going after the fight, if Usman won... If you watch those rounds two through basically five, Usman was, it was light work for him, for Leon. There was at one point where he faked the take, he faked the takedown. It was a fake takedown attempt. And then the leg was just there. So he just grabbed it and still took Leon down with ease. I see that happening more and more more in the third fight. I think Usman's going to dominate him, and I just, I think he's going to move on. I, I feel bad for Leon because he had a great speech after the fight, you know, but you 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 did get lucky, I have to say. You did. The, the head kick was lucky. He made one mistake, and I think if we're going to see that in the trilogy fight, that Usman's going to right the wrong. But the move itself, you can't give enough credit to how no. incredible yeah. it was. It was insane. So... He what deserves moment. that moment to go back to England and defend that. Yep. In his uh, home home state. Just an, an incredible display on his end. And to become a champion for the first time, I was like, I was tearing up watching his speech, talking to his mother crying. It was pretty awesome. Look at me now. Yeah. First Jamaican-born UFC world champion. Uh, second English uh, world champion. A special moment for Leon Edwards. Now, one of the interesting moments of the night was the UFC president, Dana White, saying he helped try to arrange a deal for Tom Brady to play in Las Vegas along with Rob Gronkowski. Now, Dana White is from the New England area, is from Connecticut, before moving to Las Vegas and, and mm -hmm. buying the UFC. So I'm sure you may know better than me. There's some connection there with Tom Brady 
And the Raiders oh, he's a big, had he's just, a big Tom Brady. He's a big Tom Brady fan. As I would assume. Yeah. The Raiders had just moved to Vegas. John Gruden had just become their head coach. And this was his second season, right? Because I believe his first year was in Oakland with the team. I think so. I think so. He signs this massive 10-year contract to the team. Now, obviously, John Gruden is no longer in Vegas. Yep. But he had been there since 2018 going to his going to his third year at the team, right? Because 2020 would have been Tom Brady. That was his third year because he was in Oakland for two seasons and then Vegas for a year and a half. So it was technically not his, his first mm-hmm. season. Third. And the Raiders quarterbacks, Derek Carr, they're coming off of a year where they blow up the team. Amari Cooper's gone, so it's Khalil Mack. The Antonio Brown thing does does not work out, uh, to, to put it lightly. But at the same time, they have Darren Waller break out into a all-world receiving talent at tight end. Hunter Renfro is starting to come into his own. Josh Jacobs' offensive line is not particularly good. Mm-hmm. But basically, Gronk on his... What's the name of this this Gronk episode? It's a, it's a new it's a new thing with the UFC. I guess it's watching UFC with Gronks or whatever. Or something. It's just yeah. It's the first episode of this of this show. And Gronk is completely airs out that you know ah we're we're gonna go to Oakland and John Gruden blew the entire thing up. And then Dana White's like, well now you blew it. What's he gonna tell anyone? But <laughs> apparently Tom Brady's saying on the shop when he watched that show. You're sticking with that guy over me? You serious? We all thought it was Jimmy Garoppolo and his hometown Niners. Uh, apparently, it was Derek Carr and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. <laughs> As a Brady fan, hearing that, how do you feel? Because I don't know why he wanted to want. It's Vegas, but in terms of winning championships, the Buccaneers were ready. They had Godwin. They had Evans. The offensive line was improving the defense was very good they won just seven games a year before but that was because their quarterback was turnover prone they needed to change their offense yeah um well a lot of fans were probably surprised by this comments i wasn't just because i am a ufc fan and i've heard when, when tom was leaving dana was talking about it a lot during that time where he was like i'm going to try and convince tom to go to uh vegas so i'm not surprised the talks happened i'm not surprised it got close to happening um, yeah, obviously the Buccaneers was the better decision. Um, I think Tom just saw it and was like, John Gruden, it, uh, you know, minus the, what he did, did off the field as a head coach, he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. Uh, he's, a, he's known as an offensive genius or quarterback guru, if you will. Um, like you said, they have Darren Waller, who's coming into his own Josh Jacobs, who I believe is a, uh, uh, top 15, top 14 running back in the league. Hunter Renfro is a great slot receiver. We know how Brady loves his slot slot receivers. Um, yeah, I, I could have saw it. I, I wasn't. I'm not. I'm not surprised. Uh, he made he made the right decision going to the Buccaneers. Um, for me, it just shows like the Raiders front office and coaching staff didn't believe in Derek Carr, and they didn't. I mean, everybody told me when Baker got you know shipped out and they they brought in Deshaun, like, well, if you believe in the guy, then you should stick with the guy. Well, I know you're a fan of Derek Carr, and I know our buddy Justin's a fan. I wish he was here. Justin's a fan of Derek Carr. Well, the front office and the uh, coaching staff didn't believe in your uh, Derek Carr. Well, I'm and grounded were... in reality. Huh? I'm grounded in reality. I like what they did last year because of Garrett. Der- Garrett. 
Derek Carr, along with their edge rush with Max Crosby and Unique Nagakwe. I think he's a top 12 quarterback, and in some games he could be top 10. I think that's really good in today's league. I have them. I forget where I put them. I think I put them like 14 or 15. That's disrespectful now. Yeah, nah, it's not. I mean, putting like Baker Mayfield had Derek Carr, I think, is a little bit of a stretch. Let's see where, where I have them. I have the list right here. I have Derek Carr number 13. Okay, that's reasonable. So I you have Dak ahead of him. I have Dak, Matt Ryan ahead of him. And then right behind him, I have Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Okay, I think Kyler Murray. Kyler at 14 is he has to be in your top 12 as well. I mean, he's he's tailed off towards the end of the season. Matt Ryan's an MVP and uh, you know, made a Super Bowl. And I believe in Dak Prescott's intangibles more than I believe in Kyler Murray's. Do those intangibles include winning playoff games? Dak Prescott? Yeah. Well, he might not have won a lot of playoff games, but you can blame the coaching and he goes rookie year, he goes toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers. And if it wasn't for a Mason crossbar, two insanely lucky field goal makes, we might have a different discussion. Um, but yeah, for, yeah, Tom made the right decision going to Tampa. I mean, obviously John Gruden messed it up because you know what an idiot. But yeah, that's a mute point at this point because it, it it's not going to happen. There were also rumors he was going to go to Miami too, so. A lot of lot of rumors about where Tom was going to go. Miami would have been way worse. Probably. Yeah, that would have been an interesting. That would have been a little petty on my uh, uh, for me. I, I would have kind of looked at Tom Brady like, "Come on, really? Like, I know you might have beef with Bill, but like, why you got to? Now you're affecting the fans too, the Patriots fans that have loved you and supported you, and we we don't quit on you. Like, we still love you." That, that's my quarterback. I still say to this day, that's my quarterback. I I don't I hate when I heard those things that him and Champagne were going to come to Miami because they wanted to go against Bill and the Patriots. Well, yeah, but you're also affecting us, the fans, Tom. Don't you realize that? Like, why are you trying to attack us? We didn't do anything wrong. We wanted you to stay. We didn't want you to go. Well, of course you want him to stay. He's an incredible greatest quarterback and greatest player in Listen, the history if I had of the sport. millions of dollars, I would have gave him the millions of dollars, all right? But I don't. I'm not Robert Kraft. I would have pulled the – I would have said – if I was Robert Kraft, I know he said after the Jimmy Garoppolo – where he intervened in that Jimmy Garoppolo uh, deal where he said basically throughout Bill's entire Patriots career, he's never interfered in a move Bill has made. That was the first time he ever did it. And it worked out in his favor because Tom, I believe, went to uh, the Eagles Super Bowl and then won the Super Bowl against the Rams after that. So it worked out. I hit, I wish, and he, I, I'm, he didn't say it, but I all reports some that Robert Kraft wasn't going to get involved again if it came to it. I wish he would have because I think, I still think Bill made a mistake. I still do. You keep Brady. We've seen what Brady has become. You had the cap space that you you show you you built this offense. Imagine what Tom Brady would have did with that offense. I mean, it, it was just for me. It goes back to kind of like that. Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning debate. For me, obviously, they made the right move with Andrew Luck. We can see in hindsight. But at the time, I mean, Peyton Manning was playing at MVP caliber level. Now, yes, the injuries, they didn't know that. But still, I take the proven proven guy over the guy who's not proven yet. And for me, it, it Tom was the guy. 
and you should have kept him, Bill. You, you, that that is a mistake on Bill Belichick's resume. That will forever be there. That he got rid of Tom Brady, and Tom Brady went on to win a Super Bowl and an MVP. I just he think he didn't do a good enough. No, job. he didn't win an MVP. Sorry, not an MVP. Second Super Bowl. Yeah. I just think he didn't do a good enough job building around Brady, and that's why he left. Oh yeah, towards the end, yeah, he did. He didn't. He, he, he builds better, him. I think Brady stayed. If he didn't have to work with Akil Harry and stuff, I think he would have stayed. Yeah. No, I mean. John, that draft, who was taken right after Nikhil Harry? Debo, A.J. Brown. There was another one. <laughs> yeah, his name, I think, is um, – he plays in Seattle. He's, he's D.K. Metcalf. Uh, D.K. Metcalf, yeah. And yeah. we could have had any one of those, and we didn't. Well, at least Eagle fans took J.J.R. Siegel Whites out over D.K., and after trying to switch the tight end, he's now yeah. playing behind D.K. in Seattle. I just yeah, Bill Bill didn't do a good job towards the end of putting the talent. He built the defense really well, but he was basically saying, "Tom, you know, do your magic." And it's like Julian Edelman was on his last legs. Gronk was gone. There were no tight ends. The tight ends sucked. Matt Lacoste or whatever his name was, Devin Asai, Asasi, whatever his name is. Who are these guys? Nikhil Harry? Come on. Yeah, I'm looking now. I mean, if Nikhil Harry pans out, Brady's still in New England. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Nikhil wouldn't have panned out. If we took Debo well, yes, or AJ he... Brown, he would have been in New England still because he would have had the talent around him. I mean, you look at that last year in New England. We shouldn't have been a playoff team. That was our offense was trash. It was Tom Brady that built that brought us there. And you started undefeated at like ten and zero or nine and zero, right? I forget. I, I don't remember that year. That was a very weird year for me. I'm sorry. That, that was just like a year I've kind of like, you know, disappeared out of my brain because I just don't want to remember it. It's a sad year for Brandon. Well, your sad years are losing playoff games. My sad years are watching the Steelers crumble and miss the playoffs. Uh, we both have a pretty good, I'll be honest. We're not, you have a you pretty know. good. You haven't had a losing record since Mike Tomlin. Okay, well, you have it much better than a Steeler fan. So don't... Well, obviously, we have the, we're have the the greatest dynasty of all time. But Well, the Boston Celtics of the 60s. Nah, I mean, level of competition, how many teams are in the league. We had a 20-year dominant reign. They had a 10-year. They won nine or eight. Yeah, NBA football's titles. harder to win than basketball. Sure. It's okay. 20 years. Parody. You know all that. Come on. Sure. Well, that'll end it for episode number 19 of the Wisecast podcast. Thank you so much for watching. Staying to the very end. You can check us out on our socials. And as always, we'll see you next time with J-Ray next week. Peace.